0: Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us. This is Kitchen Table Talk. Uh, John Lendorf, how are you doing this morning, my friend?
1: Oh,
2: good morning, Daniel. And uh, I'm just uh, thrilled to be uh, thrilled to be back. Uh, for those of you who uh, missed this particular chapter in my radio life, uh, I uh, had uh, spinal fusion uh, surgery at the beginning of uh, October. And uh, finally, uh, back and back and uh, functional in a, in my own way here. Thrilled to be back on the air. So did I? Did I miss anything food wise, Daniel? Uh,
0: yeah, just a couple things here, a couple <laughs> things here and there. Uh, but it's it's so great to uh, to have you back, and it's it's uh, just wonderful to um, see your recovery and, and be back and, and rocking out with um, you know your new refreshed um, support system for your back, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. Uh,
2: Absolutely. We could have a whole separate talk about uh, the food, which is uh, served in supposedly healing institutions like hospitals and rehab facilities, Um, really some horror stories, Uh, but let's not go there. Right. I think Um, that
0: could be probably a six-part mini-series.
2: Um, but today we have this uh, amazing uh, collection of uh, folks who are here to talk about uh, a couple of different subjects that actually I think uh, tie in together. Um, Daniel, why don't you introduce introduce your guests?
0: Yes, of course, of course, yes. We've got uh, Tim and Carrie Francis joining us from Dharma's Garden, located in beautiful North Boulder. Um, They have an unbelievable urban farm project on five acres of land that they are doing a remarkable and profound job of stewarding um, and nourishing. Um, so Carrie and Tim, would you like to introduce yourselves and say a little bit about what, what, what brings you joy and what is your, your path? I love it. Good morning. Thank you, Daniel, for having
1: us.
3: Yeah. Hi, I'm Carrie and my passion is really working with young children. And so we have a program on the farm where we bring preschoolers in and I'm trying to connect them with the land and connect them with nature and just bring them into loving relationship with the world around them.
0: That's great.
1: Yeah, and I think my passion is working with the wildness of the landscape and finding that that intersection where the wildness meets the cultivated, and the uh, the 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 power of the human
0: connection with the land. That's fantastic, excellent. And we also have uh, Michael Abelman, uh, based in Vancouver, British Columbia, a farmer, author, activist, photographer, um, author of four books, featured in the PBS film Beyond Organic. Uh, Michael, you've been doing some extraordinary. Um, work um, with hands and heart, um, and I want to thank you for uh, joining us. If you want to tell our listeners a little bit about you, what what your path is, and, and what brings you joy.
4: Well, thank you so much. So nice to be with you all, and I'm also looking forward to uh, being in Boulder in a matter of days for some wonderful events that uh, Tim and Carrie have organized uh, to benefit their their work. Uh, I've been uh, an organic farmer for uh, what 44 years, full time. But I have uh, uh, used my work in agriculture to uh, also try to both educate and to help um, communities that are uh, uh, less served and underserved in regards to uh, food and agriculture. Uh, And so most recently, um, in the last 15 years, a project called Street Farm or Soul Food Street Farms in the on the downtown east side of Vancouver. Where we employ uh, 30 people uh, dealing with long-term addiction and mental illness, uh, produce uh, over 40 tons of food on five acres of pavement using an innovative system that we developed. Uh, and um, so, I'm I'm very excited about the possibilities of um, uh, using agriculture to uh, to help people who are uh, underserved. And I think that's that's been my passion for the last 15 years.
0: That's excellent. Thank you, Michael, so much. Yes, you know, access um, is such a necessary part of the conversation when we talk about local food systems. Um, It's not just about, you know, beautiful $7 a pound heirloom tomatoes. It's about feeding everyone that is hungry, which we can do with our existing food supply. Um, But the model is extremely challenging. And I think um, food security um, is basically a, a birthright and something that is an essential process of defining what a resilient local food system is about. Um, so thank you. And obviously, we'll talk more about what you're doing, but that's pretty pretty um, remarkable um, to have that, that kind of yield um, literally coming off of pavement. Um, when we talk about inputs and outputs with farming and all the challenges to, to pull that off is, is nothing short of remarkable. Um, and then, John, you had um, also joining us is, uh, is Beth Howard,
2: uh yes um and again uh listeners uh, this is kitchen table talk and uh you can uh call in if you uh, have questions after we introduce everybody and uh participate in this uh discussion um beth and i have been friends for almost 10 years uh joined at the hip by a a passion for uh pie uh regular listeners uh and readers know that uh well, all I can say is Google, Google my name and pie, and and you'll understand the obsession. Uh, but uh, Beth has uh, Beth had a pie shop that was located in the Grant Wood House, you know, the famous the Pitchfork. Um, she's written about pie extensively. She has a new book out uh, called Wor- World Peace P I E E C E, and um, I'm going to let her uh, talk about that um but she has uh well go go ahead Beth uh, talk talk a little bit about uh the new book uh she's she's going to be in uh, Boulder uh, this uh, weekend and we can uh, talk about that a little bit but uh talk about the passion that that, that was behind this new book that you wrote
5: I had 420,000 frequent flyer miles that I inherited from my late husband and they were expiring and I had always had this dream to go around the world but I wanted to travel with a purpose and you know as you know me John pie has been my purpose for a long time uh pie is what helped me heal through the grief of losing my husband and it's what led me to living in the American Gothic house in rural Iowa which is 15 miles from where I was born and when I moved out of the house after the after running the pitchfork pie stand, which just about <laughs> just about did me in, making 100 pies a weekend and one little domestic oven. Uh, it was great fun. But uh, but that ended and, and these miles were just staring at me for I guess it had been five, six years, and they were expiring. And so I decided I, you know, ready or not, I just had to go and do it. And uh, so I put the word out on Facebook and social media and suddenly people were coming out of the woodwork saying, you know you're welcome to stay with me. I'd love to host you. So you know it didn't take any time at all really to put together an itinerary of nine countries and off I went, hauling my rolling pin and uh, New Zealand, Australia, Thailand, India, Lebanon, Greece, Switzerland, Germany and Hungary. And yeah,
2: that's yeah, and, and uh, that's remarkable. What, what, what connects all of them? uh when when you when it gets down to it uh how to do is there a commonality around the world and how people relate to pie and what it does for them
5: well what i had learned even before i set off on the round the world trip i had i had traveled extensively already and i'd made pies in different countries including like tokyo in japan where uh no one spoke english and and you know, just the joy that pie brings people when they make their own pie and then it comes out of the oven and it's finished. And they're like, I can't believe I made this and I can't wait to take it home and share it with somebody. Like that's the message, the universal message that I've taken with me everywhere I've gone. So I've primarily been teaching pie classes as a way to bring people together and build community. And it doesn't even matter what country, people love that experience of working with their hands and creating something that's beautiful and, and well, dare I say, nutritious. Uh, you know that they can take and share, and sharing is the whole point, really. That's the message. You know, to make other people happy, you make something of that. You you make something yourself, and you share it with someone else. It makes them happy, and then in turn, it makes you happy. So it's this wonderful recipe for happiness.
0: That's great, like breaking bread or breaking crust. It's the, the great equalizer um, breaks down all all boundaries of, you know, religion, politics, culture, income bracket. It's just coming together as human beings to share um, a love of things that taste delicious and learning about things that we might not be totally familiar with or comfortable with.
2: But well, one commonality also, I think all, all of us have today is that uh, there's this strong, strong feeling and impetus a passion to uh get the uh to connect with uh people to teach to uh bring more uh more uh kids and uh regular folks into the uh into the into the project into the uh, idea
0: yeah 100 100 percent um and i and beth you have a, a great ted talk by the way that i watched last night um which was really wonderful to listen to, um, so that was great. I encourage our listeners to to hop on and um, and listen to your listen to your talk, um, and also speaking of you know the reason why we're engaging um, with Dharma's Garden specifically, and, and Michael will be joining us in person in Boulder um, next week, which is a, a pretty big deal to have you in town. So we're we're very excited for that. Um, Carrie and Tim, do you want to talk briefly about the event that you guys are hosting?
1: Yeah, so we've got a series of
0: three events, and uh, I want to mainly
1: plug uh, Tuesday, December 6th at E-Town Hall, 6 p.m. Uh, Michael Abelin's is going to be giving a presentation on his work, and also really excited to be having Mark and Kristen Kimball from Essex Farm in New York who are going to be joining us. Uh, Kristen wrote the uh, book The Dirty Life, which a lot of people uh, may have heard of. And um yeah, we're just really excited to be sharing stories of hope and healing with the good earth.
0: That's great. Yeah, and using um land as a transformative expression of, of wellness and nourishment. I think that word nourishment has come up quite a bit in our conversations. And I, I visited your um your land yesterday and walked around the property with you and it was pretty remarkable to see all the things that you guys have in motion. Um, can you talk a little bit about what transforming that land into a farm has been like for you? That's a pretty immense project, but if you can sum up the, the journey, I think would be pretty interesting.
3: Well, just really briefly, we just felt drawn to this piece of land. We lived down the street and I worked at the kindergarten that overlooks this beautiful meadow. And for many years, we just felt kind of called to this particular piece of land. And by some kind of magic, we ended up renting that land and turned part of this five-acre backyard into a garden and then shared a lot of the abundance with our neighbors. And from that, we kind of developed into uh, more educational programming and workshops and festivals, and things just kind of took off from there.
1: Yeah, so we didn't set out with the intention to start a neighborhood urban community farm. We just started with a feeling of profound connection to the land and the landscape and an inspiration to start working with that land, tending the land and sharing with community. And from that, this vision of an urban farm in North Boulder in perpetuity for future generations was born. And so it's been an organic process that we've been um, as much a witness to as participants in
0: uh, over the past um, eight years. That's fantastic, and there's an awesome duck pond.
3: There is a duck pond
0: <laughs> with a goose that thinks it's a duck. Yes, the goose who thinks she's a duck. <laughs> yes, Goosey <laughs> Goose story. getting some airtime, <laughs> which is great. That's excellent. Um, so when we, you know, we talk about uniting community and the essential components of what local food is about, it's not just about supporting local folks that are doing great work. It's about really understanding the process and where food comes from and the true value of food and what that intention can manifest and create. Um, And Michael, would you be able to speak a little bit uh, more about your work and specifically about food access? Because I think the local food movement gets a lot of press regarding, you know, the beautiful vegetables that are created and the the, the magnificent um, dishes that that restaurants and, um, you know, cooks and and chefs are able to utilize um, and transform. Um, But the conversation desperately needs to shift towards getting highly nutritious, dense, beautiful, vibrant food into the hands of anyone that needs to eat. And I'd like I'd, I'd like if you could speak to that a little bit.
4: Yeah, I mean, I had been um, working uh, full-time as an organic farmer for over 20 years, and I uh, had kind of a sobering revelation, which was that the majority of the food that I was producing was going to a very narrow segment of the society, and that was those who could afford it. And um, uh, at the time, I was farming in California, um, and I... At the same time, I realized that, you know, um, I wanted to demonstrate, especially for younger people, uh, that the best way, the best incentive to get into farming was to show that you could make a decent living doing it. So there was a real conflict there. I, I I knew that we needed to create an economic model that made sense, but I also knew that the economic model that was working for us and for many other farmers of my scale Uh, excluded uh, a significant percentage of the society those again who couldn't afford our food and so i uh, started a project in watts in los angeles i don't know if you're familiar with that area but watts um, uh, for many is known and it was at the time uh, as one of the lowest income highest violent crime rate um, high infant mortality rates Uh, beautiful community but with significant challenges and we were able to on the former site of the Watts Health Clinic, which was burned down during the uprisings in the 60s, to create a really dynamic um, uh, inner city urban farm there. I learned a lot of hard lessons. Uh, In case you haven't noticed, uh, we are in fact talking to each other within this group on Zoom. My skin is not black or brown. I'm not from that community. And I had to come to a clear understanding about what does it really mean to help and how do we do it better and what is appropriate, and what a dangerous thing it can be to think we know what other people need. And so uh, fast forward to our work in Vancouver, I think I have um, both because of my age, um, uh, you know, being 15, 20 years later, uh, and because of the community I'm working with, I think we have created something that I think is more appropriate. Uh, And that's been done by asking people what they really need, what they want, how they can participate, uh, how they can be the ones doing it. And that my role is merely as a spark, uh, a generator, a supporter and an educator. Uh, but I think there's a lot of wonderful examples uh, now all around the world of individuals and communities that are using farms and agriculture and food uh, as a way to, um, uh, to support uh, underserved communities. So many creative models for that. I'm, I'm really excited to see that.
0: That's excellent. Um, yeah, truly, truly fantastic. You know, utilizing a model of sustainable food and organic agriculture um, to feed families and individuals in need at a price point that is appropriate um, and fair, I think, is a very important part um, of our, our food system model getting back to where it needs to be. Um, and I, I agree. Access to um, wonderful, nourishing ingredients is not based on your value of your net worth, but it's it's based on being a human being and needing to be nourished properly. Mm. Um, and again, we come to that word nourishment. Mm. Um, and I think that's a, a a great connecting point for what everyone here is um, walking as far as our path and our inspiration. Um, you know my my whole reality is based on on nourishing people through food that's my love language that's that's my my dialogue my resting point um and I think all of us have nourishment in our consciousness in in a very high place um Beth can you speak a little bit about you know nourishment using pie, which is um a phenomenal um method of uh, getting people engaged, uh, and I think I think what you've done is is pretty beautiful and magnificent. Um, and if you wouldn't mind speaking a little bit about what you've experienced as you, um, not just through your travels, um, but on your own path of of what nourishment represents.
5: Well, it's not just nourishment of the body, it's the soul, you know, so um, one of the things that's most important to me about the way I make pie and teach pie is that you do it with your hands, your bare hands. So you can ignore all those recipes that say you have to use a food processor or don't touch your dough. Uh, You know, it's that tactile experience that you're engaging your senses that I think is the magic of of what I do and what people love so much, you know, at first they're like, Oh, you know, we're so disconnected from our food. I, I, that's number one, but to actually get in there and, and, and feel it, you know, the flour and the butter and rubbing it together and peeling and slicing apples and all of that. It's very, uh, you know, all of that is very nurturing to the soul in a way that like, for me, it's meditation. People laugh when I say that because, a lot of people struggle with making pie, but once you learn the little shortcuts and secrets, you know, it's um, it's just a it's just a gift to be able to give people because making this thing with your hands, you have to put your phone down. You can't be on the computer. You can't be on your phone. You have to get away from social media. I think that's what I, also one of the most important things about what I do is getting people to just engage with one another um you know it's a confidence building exercise as well but you know the fact that you you literally have to do something without being on your phone for once you can't you'll get pie dough all over your phone believe me i know my camera doesn't work anymore (laughs) because it's so full of butter but Uh, you know i think that's an important thing that we've gotten too far away from is working with our hands
2: beth um You've also uh, been involved in a, in a few situations where, effectively, you're you were using pie to heal uh, in in traumatic situations. And uh, could you talk a little bit about that? About sort of the power of of uh, feeding people and and particularly pie.
5: Right. So uh, I think I know more specifically what you're referencing is Sandy Hook because uh, it's like going to be ten years now. I organized a group of people. We had ended up with 60 volunteers to make pies to hand out on the streets of Newtown, Connecticut after the Sandy Hook shooting. And it was a way to show up and be there for people and, and show that we cared. And um, and it was also what ended up happening is because we were like set up a table on the streets and handed out slices of pie to passers by. Actually, we did it at the um, uh, town center where people, they had memorials and that's where a lot of the news crews were. And people were coming and putting flowers and teddy bears on the memorial site. But then there was also pie, so they would stop and they would have a slice, and then they would run into their neighbors. And it became this place in, where people could gather. And you know, everything was kind of locked down after the shooting. So for people to find a place where they're welcome and there's the, there was pie, you know, um, it was just a really beautiful thing. And ten years later, I still get emails from people thanking me for for what we did and you know, all those people that volunteered their time to to help bake the pies, it was, you know, it was just, you know, it's like, you don't wanna just throw money at the problem, you wanna show up and be there and, and give back.
2: I think that the, the connecting point here is uh, that you're engaged personally with people, whether you're teaching them about regenerative farming or, or bringing them out in the fields in Boulder or, making them put their hands in the butter and the flour it's that uh it's that you know you're personally you're, you're personally involved and and i think that's that's where some of the healing can happen yeah i think there's as well, much sorry you're not
5: just, sorry, you're oh, not just connecting with the food you're connecting with each other and i think exactly. we are all very lonely these days and it's mm-hmm. you know food has always brought people together whether it's pie or growing it yourself and sharing Lettuce, <laughs> it's all good.
0: Yeah, I, um, I agree. I think, <clears throat> you know, I want to I wanna mention um, a dear friend, Andy Clark, um, and, you know, John, who we had on as our first episode of, of Kitchen Table Talk, um, who unfortunately we lost not so just a few weeks ago, um, who was such a powerhouse um, in our local food system and representing all of these values of um, engagement and connection. Um, And bringing people together that are doing very important noble things um, For all of us on the ground Um, And I you know, I just want to speak briefly about grief and I think Beth that connects a little bit to you know your story Um, and in the process of um, Walking through the unfolding um, I have I have found some you know level of of therapy um, having my hands in dough um, and having my hands in soil and I I think it's important to talk a little bit about um, The transformative power of food and the process of of cooking um, And also, you know, Carrie Tim and Michael the the power of, of farming and working with your hands in the soil um, And how truly um, Just healing and nourishing that act can be Yeah I- I-
5: I, I mean, I feel like I'm dominating this conversation, but, you know, of course, I, I just basically what I said before, it's that, uh, you know, engaging with physical and emotional and giving back to others and giving back to the earth, just connecting, connecting with the earth. I think nature is very healing. So I think starting with the soil, and then you move on to the dough after that, you know, grow right. your own, grow your own uh, flour and butter and apples and yeah,
0: you know? apples. And you can really
5: be connected to it all.
0: Exactly. We were actually speaking, we were just speaking about apples yeah. last night, which is pretty fascinating because you, you have some um, heritage apple trees on your property, correct, that you inherited?
1: Yeah, at Dharma's Garden, there's a few established old apple trees, and we've planted a, a bunch more. And those trees are part of the, the Boulder Apple Tree um, Project, with, um, which is, I think, a joint project project between the city or county of boulder and university of colorado and going around and cataloging all of these old apple varieties that are scattered all across um the front range here that uh was once one of the major apple growing regions in the nation and a lot of these apple varieties are may, they may be the only tree left of that variety and so there's a there's a neat initiative to go and, and kind of catalog those
0: that's amazing and i bet many of those would make incredible apple pie they really do. They really do. I'll be right over. <laughs> right? Get to,
5: I'm getting to Boulder on Friday. I'll definitely come and uh come That's and find great. you.
0: That's fantastic. Um and, and Michael, through your through your work, um oh and let me I just want to uh uh, to quickly mention Cajun um, UFM 88.5 Boulder um, and 1390 Denver is where we are located in the listening universe. Um, so please, uh, please join us. Um, and for those of you uh, just tuning in, um, we have an incredible gathering of remarkable folks doing powerful, meaningful work um, through farming and food and um, And John, again, so great to have you back dialed in. Um, It's been way too long and it feels so good to just, you know, have your deeply therapeutic voice um, present. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, we have Michael Abelman um, joining us, a tremendous uh, farmer, author, um, food activist, photographer, um, and Beth Howard. um, Also, uh, Michael, author of four books. Beth, you have also three or four books, is that correct?
5: I just came out with my fourth book.
0: Oh, congratulations. That's amazing. Um, and then Miss American Pie. I love that. Uh, that's a, a great <laughs> a great book title, I must say, which is fantastic. And then um, Tim and Carrie Francis joining us from Dharma's Garden, um, a phenomenal, um, I think, not so small. It's five acres. But when you're standing there, it's epic and profound um, urban farming project in um, in North Boulder. Um, Michael, can you, can you speak a little bit about, you know, the transformative power of, of farming and, and, and things that you have witnessed, um, to see what, you know, hands in soil actually can do?
4: Yeah, I can. I mean, it's hard to talk about this stuff without, uh, leaning in on so many of the cliches related to it. Um, but I will say, um, uh, both my boys, I have two grown sons, um, grew up, um, along the sides of the fields where we worked and they both grew up eating soil, <laughs> uh, which, it you know, we were kind of at first a little shocked by, it was just a natural instinct for a, um, a toddler or an infant. Uh, but then I find out years later uh, uh, how beneficial that is to the immune system. And then I find out um, what many of us who've been working with soil for a long time have known anecdotally that somehow, what is it that makes me feel better? I can leave my house in a bad mood, go out into the fields and start working and and have my hands in living soil, and I start to feel better, Uh, and I've seen it over and over again, and now, of course, the the scientists, the scientific community has demonstrated quite clearly that working with living soil uh, uh, lifts and improves serotonin levels and uh, has a, a huge benefit on mental health. Uh, you know the people that I work with in on the downtown east side of Vancouver uh... these are folks who if you saw them on the street you would um, probably roll up your windows or look the other way um, uh... but uh... are uh... amazing people in my mind since i've gotten to know them but they uh, all report in their own language in their own ways and i wrote a book about this project called street farm um, that uh... Likewise, um, their newfound involvement uh, through the project we have provided, uh, their newfound involvement with living soil and with growing food for their community um, uh, has had a profound effect on their lives and without sounding dramatic many people report that they believe they're still alive because they have a job to go to. A reason to get out of bed each day, a sense of purpose, a sense of belonging but equally so, um, this thing that happens uh, that I can't really describe from um, any kind of clear scientific basis. When you uh, plant a seed and you see the miracle of its emergence, no matter how many times you've seen it, when you have your hands in living soil, when you're offering uh, this array of fresh food to your local community, there is something so profound about those activities. Um that uh is uh not just beneficial to the practitioner to the farmer, but also it's passed on uh and I think when it's done with uh great intention and when it's done with love and when it's done in living soil uh those who are eating the food feel that they experience the the health benefits from it um and this connection and I think you know this is what I'm really excited about uh uh, to be involved with um, supporting the work of Tim and Kerry in in, uh, in Dharma's garden in Boulder I think this is really uh, modeled and exemplified in the work that they're doing uh, and we've got to find a way to make sure that the they've, they've completed a very successful uh, first phase of, of uh, securing that land and protecting it from being developed uh, but they are only halfway there in my mind And so we, you know, the reason I'm coming to Boulder uh, is very simply to help them uh, stimulate the energy to try to raise the funds to complete that effort. This is really important. What better way for the community to use its resources than to preserve something like that that will be there forever? Producing food, protecting uh, biodiversity, uh, providing community and education, fabulous. So I'm, I'm, th- I am shameless in my pitch here, <laughs> but come to those events and find a way to uh, support um, the good work that these guys are doing. It's really important.
0: Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think, um, you know, speaking to that model of, of what you guys are doing, I mean, that, that land had you not uh, been so um, active about keeping it, for all of us as an inheritance for humanity would have been bulldozed and turned into um, luxury condos, um, which I think we can all agree the world doesn't need more luxury um, dwellings, but can do very well with more beautiful farm operations. Um, And I, you know, I think, you know, knowing that that was where that was headed and that now what you've done with it. um, Can you talk a little bit about your community agriculture model, as far as their, you know, the buy-in, you know, people can put in $1,000 or $10, and it just doesn't matter. You're getting magnificent food. Can you speak about that a little bit?
3: Yeah, I can start, and then, Tim, you can join in. But um, we wanted to make this food that we produce accessible to everyone, regardless of their means or their access to resource. And so we experimented with different models, and finally we've landed on this kind of pay-what-you-can-take-what-you-need model where at the beginning of the season, you sign up to be part of our members market. You can offer any amount. It could be a dollar. It could be $1,000. And then you have access to our market on site, and you can take as much produce and herbs and as much as you would like. And so we found that kind of levels the playing field and allows everyone to have access to this food, regardless of your socioeconomic status. And nobody knows what anyone put in, so we're all just going to the same market and taking what we need.
1: And it feels really good because, um, you know, we're lucky to live in uh, a part of town that does have a, a fair amount of socioeconomic diversity. You know, there are very um, there are some very affluent families who live nearby, and there are some families who are struggling. There are um, people who live in modest homes that have been there a long time, and there's a couple of trailer parks within walking distance um, we've also got you know, over a dozen schools within walking distance of the farm. So there's a steady stream of uh, classes and school groups that come to visit. And I think that part of what is so special about this land that we are tending is that it is so accessible to the community in, in more ways than one. And you know, Carrie was saying how we try to make the, the produce accessible to the community through this membership model. But we also want this experience of tending the land to be accessible to the community. And I think part of what motivates us to and has motivated us for years to, to go down this path of trying to save this land and advocate for this this deep human connection with the landscape is that it is so nourishing to get our hands in the in the dirt. And it is so important that we have this as part of our kind of daily lived experience we are an agrarian civilization we all of us depend on agriculture for our survival whether we realize it or not and yet it's only in very recent human history that we've sort of pushed out to the periphery of our human society this act of tending the land through agriculture And I think that that's a really profound um, mistake and problem and something that needs to be corrected for the future of humanity. So we're advocating for bringing that agricultural connection back into the heart of our cities where children can see the farm as something that's part of their daily existence, that they walk by every day or that they visit with their school group every week and not just a once a year field trip that they take out there, uh, that the farm is part of the, the heart of their community. Daniel yes
2: Um, I sort of wanted to put this in a larger context since I've been writing about food in Boulder since the late 1970s yes Um, there's been such a huge loss of uh, available farmland in Boulder County in Boulder's city certainly but also in the county and there's been some uh, wonderful projects uh, that have tried to uh, preserve and maintain open space and uh, uh, reintroduce uh, farming and save it uh, for the future but for the listeners um, you know you can't talk about supporting local unless you uh, put your dollars uh, where that is um, there are uh, there are local farmers who uh, are have farm stands there are local uh, farm producers artisan far- food makers and um, i would just uh, encourage you in this uh, holiday season to put your bucks where your uh, local regenerative uh, you know thoughts are uh and uh, support the farmers and and support the uh the sources if you're ge- if you buy eggs and really who doesn't get eggs from a farmer um you know i want to encourage people to do the the practical things to support uh support all of these efforts uh that are um helping to keep local food alive um so i really I, I really applaud what uh what you guys are doing at dharmas and uh we know there's a a bunch of other folks in the area that are that are doing similar
0: things yeah and i think you know like like you said um Tim which was you know very good about you know knowing not just establishing familiarity but an immediate daily connection to the stewardship of the land and what it can provide is so necessary i think we've spent so much time putting things in compartments like oh agriculture that's messy it's dirty chickens are loud you know farm operations have volumes and sounds and noises that might be unfamiliar, might be uncomfortable, might not be a great backdrop for an important business call, but it doesn't matter because that is how our entire world has been built um, through the process of agriculture and development and the process of finding out how to grow um, and how to be um, proper stewards of the land and the soil, and I think having a presence of farms literally bordering houses, like we were saying, you know, last night, you you know that your your neighbors are looking out over your fields and seeing all these uh, magical, um, you know, container gardens and um, all the things that you you know, mobile greenhouse, all the things that you guys have have set up, which is pretty pretty remarkable. Um, how lucky they are to have that as their visual backdrop, an actual working farm that's producing incredible delicious organic food um, with a high level of nourishment for the immediate community and beyond. And and what that connection point does because those folks are taking that energy and they're passing it on to people that they encounter. And agriculture should be familiar. Agriculture should feel safe. Agriculture should make people feel happy and put you in a space of wellness because that is where all of our nourishment comes from. If it wasn't for proper land stewardship and growing food we would cease to exist
1: absolutely and i think the the sort of typical modern view of agriculture as an industrial process to create a consumable commodity is just upside down and backwards i mean agriculture yeah. is about human culture and yes. it is about our connection with one another and our connection with the natural world that sustains us and that is so profound and meaningful, and to have that as a daily lived connection is profound. You know, I'm lucky enough in my adult life to have experienced how that's affected me in my adult life, and we've we've heard anecdotally from visitors and volunteers to the farm how much it has transformed their lives, even in a short period of time, months or a few years, and... Then I think about the children who come to visit on a daily basis, and I wonder how how significant an impact that this lived experience in their childhood is going to be, that they're going to carry into their adult life. And we've already, even in just eight short years of being with this project, we've started to see that, that some of the preschool children who were visiting when they were just three or four years old are now coming back to us and expressing what a powerful, um, connection they feel to the land and a love for the land. And it's been, I, it moves me to tears every time, um, that we get those, uh, those kids sharing their stories with us. Do you want to say anything about that, Carrie?
3: Just that one time, I think he was, uh, maybe an eight year old at this point came up to me and he was just kind of standing next to me. And, and I said, Oh, like, was I your teacher at the school how how do we know each other and he couldn't remember a thing couldn't remember who his teacher was at the nearby school couldn't remember what class he was in and so i said to him oh is it that you remember the land and he said oh every detail i remember one time we lifted this rock right over there and underneath was this little bug and i mean wow i just kind of started crying and uh he was that was what he remembered couldn't remember his teacher name, couldn't remember what he learned, couldn't remember which school or which class, but he remembered the land that he had visited every day with his class.
1: And some of these kids now talk about farmers being their heroes and wanting to grow up to be a farmer, and it's only because they're having this daily experience of coming and visiting the farm yeah. and loving what they're experiencing there. Um, you know, I just want to briefly share a little bit about our uh, project and this miracle that we have accomplished as a community that, you know, we s- set out with this pie in the sky, uh, pun intended, <laughs> um, um, uh, dream of, you know, our nonprofit being able to purchase this little five acres of land in the city. And we had to raise four and a half million dollars to do it. And m- miraculously through, over 600 families in the community stepping up and contributing both in outright gifts and also in some low-interest bridge loans, we were able to raise that amount, and our nonprofit now owns the land. But something really special that I want to share is that the very first donation that we put in the bank was from a little boy who was, how old was he at the time, Kerry? Maybe um,
3: five. I had had him when he was one and two years old in my class.
1: Shout out to to Charlie Malter. Wow. That, um, he uh, when we started our land acquisition campaign and we let the community know that hey we're we we're, uh, we can do this together as a community if everyone gives what they can. Um, this little boy overheard and was going to come visit the farm with his family and his uh, mom uh, uh, was like walking out the door with him and saw a five dollar bill hanging out of his pocket. I was wondering, what is this money that you have? What's going on here? And apparently it was his life savings. He had opened up his piggy bank and got all of the money out, which was like a $5 bill and two pennies. And he decided he was going to give it all to us, to the farm, so that he could save Uh, the land. Wow. So when it came to the day that we had raised the full amount as a community and we were going to the the bank to put in our, our first deposit... Uh, little Charlie Malter was the one who put in the opening, the opening deposit $5 (laughs) and two cents. Oh my gosh. um,
0: That's amazing. That's That's fantastic. Oh, that's so beautiful. It's true because, you know, when kids connect with the magic of land, you know, farmers are heroes. It's something to aspire to be. It's an amazing, magical thing to do and it needs to be um venerated in that way as such a noble and honorable thing to do with oneself is to work the land and to to grow food and to feed your community it's one of the most powerful things that we can possibly do as human beings is is have that language of taking care of each other and beth you know you you spoke about um you know just loneliness in general i mean we've never been more disconnected we've never been more apart We've never been more invested in these awful supercomputers that we have at our sides 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And, you know, what unites us so easily and quickly is just spending time together over food and over farm. I mean, over land. It's just you, you show up at a farm. There's never a lack of anything to do. If you're feeling disconnected, go visit your local farm. Find who is working the land as close to you as possible. Drive over there. Walk out and say, hey, how can I help? I've got four hours. And I I promise you, you will be engaged in such meaningful, beautiful work that will be so healing for you and those around you in such a magical way. And that's what land does. It speaks to us. It communicates to us. It tells us what it needs. And we need to be able to listen. And, and continue that conversation, um, with a high level of intention. Amen.
3: I love how you said that. Cause we really feel like the relationship with land and one another, that's primary. And then the bonus is all the produce that grows and the bounty that we get.
0: Right. Exactly. And, and what, um, can you speak a little bit about what you, you harvest on your land? Oh boy, we
1: grow a little bit of everything, uh, both food and flowers and also do, um, some cover cropping and, and herbs and, um, And other things, but I think uh, we've sort of scaled back. The first few years, we had oh, I think almost two hundred different varieties of things, and lots of lots of really kind of obscure, uh, like precious,
0: (laughs) precious vegetables. Yeah, things
1: that I I was really uh, um, excited to grow unique things, and then ended up that no one but me really wanted to eat them. (laughs) So, um, so we're kind of focusing on the staples now. But uh, you know, we grow everything from. Uh, beans and kale to tomatoes and potatoes and squash and uh, do some of our own grain, uh, which is uh, really just such a wonderful experience wow. to, especially working with children, to be able to go out and plant some wheat by hand and then harvest it by hand and thresh it and winnow it and, and mill, it. mill it by hand and. Go get a fresh duck egg from the from oh the duck God. yard and make some some uh, pancakes from scratch and uh, or pie crust <laughs> or pie crust, yes. For instance, yes. So yeah, we grow a little bit of everything, and um, it's definitely a, a labor of love. It's more about the act of uh, farming than it is about the the end product for
0: us. That's great. And and um, Michael, you're based in in Salt Spring uh, Salt Spring Island. Is that correct?
4: Yes, uh, I, uh, I'm not there now, but I, um, uh, I am based on, we have our family farm is on Spring Island, it's a 120 acre um, original homestead on the island, and um, uh, so it's a very, a, a very different scale than what we're doing in the city of Vancouver, or than what I did when I was uh, uh, farming in California but uh, very exciting because the it's a farm that has this incredible blend of wildness and the cultivated uh, all kind of integrated uh, uh, and we're able to operate on a scale that is I think very exciting and to um, uh, do some things that I was not able to previously a a huge diversity of products also that were growing up there and um, uh, really stretching the limits as to what's possible uh, in terms of the climate zone. Uh, you know, we do one of our, a uh, few of our signature products are, you know, we do baby ginger in very large quantities, uh, French melons. Oh, wow. Uh, white and green asparagus. Um, we do, we have a lot of uh, perennial crops, blueberries and raspberries, and then uh, our orchards are are focused on... Um, some really unusual, uh, a lot of focus on red fleshed, uh, apples now is a big thing. Uh, French butter pears, quince figs. Um, wow. so it's, 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 a very diverse, um, uh, place. It's given me the opportunity to kind of, uh, uh, play with some things, uh, that earlier in my career were, um, not possible. And, um, so uh and also you know we bring a lot of people out there it's it has a very strong educational focus as well which you know i think has been a part of my um interest and excitement from from the beginning
1: and michael can you share the name of your farm out there in salt spring and how people would find out more information about that farm
4: yeah it's called fox love farm and our educational arm is called the center for arts ecology and agriculture uh, and Foxville Farm is, as I said, on Salt Spring Island in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I uh, just quickly, uh, uh, just in terms of this kind of stretch, um, uh, for 20, my, 20 some years, I was on a farm in California that was um, uh, eventually became surrounded by suburban development um, uh, you know, I was threatened with jail time over the crow of our roosters, this, our compost. Oh my gosh. Uh, the si- Signs advertising our produce, big national news. Uh, uh, there was a film made that um, called Beyond Organic that um, Merle Streep narrated. That was the story of how we saved that land, and it's uh, I'm I'm really enjoying seeing the the progress that um, Tim and Carrie have made because uh, this was. Uh, Thirty years ago, we had to raise what is in today's dollars about eight million dollars to secure that land. It wow. was owned for fifty-two condominiums. I was given one year to come up with the money, and we did it and uh, formed a nonprofit to own it. And strangely enough, I am now circling back to that project and helping rebuild it uh, with a new and very exciting vision for the future. But I'm I'm loving the process of becoming an elder in this movement and being able to see how the circles interconnect and, and the projects, some of which we've touched in, in different ways that are um, moving forward and those who are kind of um, coming up behind us. It's fascinating and I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled mm-hmm. to be involved with uh, what's coming up in Boulder. Hey
2: Michael, um, what's the easiest way for listeners and readers uh, to find out more information about your your books and uh, and what you're up to.
4: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I my last book came out in 2016, so they're not exactly in the forefront. But uh, I think all all of my books, except for perhaps from the good earth, are still still in print. Strangely enough, uh, from the good earth came out in '93. Uh, we have a couple different websites. There's um, uh, Fox Club Farm, BC dot com www farm f o f o x g l o v e b as in British Columbia c dot com uh, Michael Abelman and then Soul Food Street Farms is spelled S O L E Street Farms dot com and so the websites are probably a great way to uh to find out about
1: us. And let me just put in a plug that, uh, you know, Michael's coming here to Boulder at E-Town Hall next Tuesday, December 6th at 6 p.m. If you want to find out more, um, hear about his story in more detail, he'll be presenting there that evening. You can go to our website, Dharma's Gardens website, which is savethisfarm.org for more info on that. And I just wanted to say that uh, the first two listeners who email us uh, or first listener who emails us uh, at team. T E A M at this farm.org. Uh, we'll get uh, two tickets, two free tickets to the event for you.
2: Oh, that's uh, great! Excellent. And uh, um, Beth, you're coming to you're coming back to Boulder.
5: I'm coming. Uh, back Yeah, to tell Boulder. us
2: tell us about and that. But but first off, uh, what's what's the best way for people to find out about your books and uh, uh, what you're up to?
5: Uh, my website is theworldneedsmorepie.com. That and is true. You truth. can find every, You guys are all laughing. Uh, you can find everything there. I've got my um, book tour schedule, um, all the information about all my all four of my books, um, including my new one. And uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm pretty active on Facebook. The world needs more pie. Uh, that's about the only social media uh, I, I can find the time to do these days. But
2: And um, yeah. um, let's talk, uh, talk a little bit about what you're going to be uh, doing in Boulder.
5: So I'm doing a couple of private events. Um, one of them is at uh, on Sunday, December 4th, from 4 to 6. And if you want to email me, I can um, be happy to send you a personal invitation. And uh, I've got a, on, oh, on Saturday, December 3, I'm going to be with you, John. We're going to Tip Top Pies and uh, just doing a sort of meet and greet, talk pie, eat pie, sign books. So I'm looking forward to that. That's the New Zealand savory pies which i oh. talk about in my book oh, so wow. that's a perfect Yum. fit
2: that's great and uh looking forward to uh getting out to uh, tip top pies one o'clock on saturday afternoon
0: that's Daniel, great uh yeah and michael job. i wanted to say um you know i've i've had the pleasure to procure salt spring mussels um in limited quantities over the years um and uh, we actually opened uh, river and woods with those on the menu um, and the Salt Spring Island mussels are, are some of the best I've ever encountered. So I just want to shout out that that region of the world um, <laughs> is pretty remarkable in that regard. Uh, so we've got about a, a minute left. We're we're wrapping up the show. I want to thank everyone for uh, joining us today for a beautiful and engaging conversation. Um, if uh, we just want to go around real quick and just uh, leave everyone with uh, maybe a one-word thought that ties everything up. Tim?
1: Minus three. Love the land.
0: Excellent. And Carrie?
3: Nourishment through connection.
0: Excellent. And Michael?
4: Well, I'm going to, again, be shameless and say support Dharma Gardens. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's All three words. I'm turning my, ups- my life upside down to come out there. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. And Beth?
5: Make a pie and share it with somebody who might need some cheering up or some extra support right now.
0: Hmm. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's great. Uh, John, any uh, parting thought?
2: Yeah, the best thing you can do if you know how to make pie is teach somebody else how to make pie, and hopefully they'll teach somebody else.
0: That's great. Excellent. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Um, Please be kind. Please check in with those around you to make sure that they're feeling okay, that they're happy, and that they have a a positive support network to do good and beautiful things. Uh, Thanks, everyone. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for joining us on Kitchen Table Talk.
3: Thank you.